The French Revolution, A History by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 4, Varennes, Chapter 8, The Return. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 4, Chapter 8, The Return. So then, our grand royalist plot of flight to Metz has executed itself. Long hovering in the background as a dread royal ultimatum, it has rushed forward in its terrors, verily to some purpose. How many royalist plots and projects, one after another, cunningly devised, that were to explode like powder mines and thunderclaps, not one solitary plot of which has issued otherwise. Powder mine of a séance royale on the 23rd of June 1789, which exploded, as we then said, through the touch-hole which next your war-god Brolier, having reloaded it, brought a Bastille about your ears. Then came fervent opera repast, with flourishing of sabres and O Richard, O my King, which, aided by hunger, produces insurrection of women and Pallas Athene in the shape of Demoiselle Terania. Valour profits not, neither has fortune smiled on fanfaronade. The Bouillet armament ends as the Brolier one had done. Man after man spends himself in this cause, only to work it quicker ruin. It seems a cause doomed, forsaken of earth and heaven. On the 6th of October, gone a year, King Louis, escorted by Demoiselle Terogne and some 200,000, made a royal progress and entrance into Paris, such as man had never witnessed. We prophesied him two more such, and accordingly another of them, after this flight to Metz, is now coming to pass. Teronia will not escort here, neither does Mirabeau now sit in one of the accompanying carriages. Mirabeau lies dead in the pantheon of great men. Teronia lies living in dark Austrian prison, having gone to Liège professionally and been seized there. Be murmured now by the horse-flowing Danube, the light of her patriot supper-parties quite gone out. So lies Tyronia, she shall speak with the Kaiser face to face and return. And France lies how? Fleeting time shears down the great and the little, and in two years alters many things. But at all events, here, we say, is a second ignominious royal procession, though much altered, to be witnessed also by its hundreds of thousands. Patience, ye Paris patriots, the Royal Berlin is returning. Not till Saturday, for the Royal Berlin travels by slow stages, amid such loud-voiced confluent sea of National Guards, sixty thousand as they count, amid such tumult of all people. Three National Assembly Commissioners, famed Barnave, famed Pétion, generally respectable Latour Maubourg, have gone to meet it, of whom the two former ride in the Berlin itself, beside Majesty, day after day. Latour, as a mere respectability, and man of whom all men speak well, can ride in the rear, with Dame Tourzel and the Soubrettes. So, on Saturday evening, about seven o'clock, Paris, by hundreds of thousands, is again drawn up, not now dancing the trickler joy dance of hope, nor as yet dancing in fury dance of hate and revenge, but in silence, with vague look of conjecture and curiosity, mostly scientific. 
A Saint Antoine placard has given notice this morning that whoever insults Louis shall be caned, whosoever applauds him shall be hanged. Behold then at last that wonderful new Berlin, encircled by blue national sea with fixed bayonets, which flows slowly, floating it on through the silent assembled hundreds of thousands. Three yellow couriers sit atop, bound with ropes, Petion, Barnave, their majesties, with Sister Elizabeth and the children of France, are within. Smile of embarrassment or cloud of dull sourness is on the broad, phlegmatic face of His Majesty, who keeps declaring to the successive official persons what is evident. Eh bien, me voilà! Well, here you have me. And what is not evident? I do assure you I did not mean to pass the frontiers and so forth, speeches natural for that poor royal man, which decency would veil. Silence is her majesty, with a look of grief and scorn, natural for that royal woman. Thus lumbers and creeps the ignominious royal procession through many streets amid a silent gazing people, comparable Mercier thinks to some procession de roi de Bazoche, or say procession of King Crispin with his dukes of Sutomania and royal blazonry of Cordwainry. Except indeed that this is not comic. I know it is comico tragic, with bound couriers and a doom hanging over it, most fantastic yet most miserably real. Miserablest flexibile ludibrium of a pickle herring tragedy. It sweeps along there in most ungorgeous pall through many streets in the dusty summer evening, gets itself at length wriggled out of sight, vanishing in the Tuileries Palace towards its doom of slow torture, pain forte dure. Populous, it is true, seizes the three rope-bound yellow couriers, will at least massacre them. But our august assembly, which is sitting at this great moment, sends out deputation of rescue, and the whole is got huddled up. Barnave, all dusty, is already there in the National Hall, making brief, discreet address and report. As indeed, through the whole journey, this Barnave has been most discreet, sympathetic, and has gained the Queen's trust, whose noble instinct teaches her always who is to be trusted. Very different from heavy Pétion, who, if Campan speaks the truth, ate his luncheon, comfortably filled his wine-glass in the royal Berlin, flung out his chicken-bones past the nose of royalty itself, and on the king saying, France cannot be a republic, answered, No, it is not ripe yet. Barnave is henceforth a queen's adviser, if advice could profit, and Her Majesty astonishes Dame Campan by signifying almost a regard for Barnave, and that, in a day of retribution and royal triumph, Barnave shall not be executed. On Monday night, royalty went. On Saturday evening, it returns. So much, within one short week, has royalty accomplished for itself. The pickle-herring tragedy has vanished in the Tuileries Palace towards pain strong and hard, watched, fettered and humbled as royalty never was, watched even in its sleeping apartments and inmost recesses, for it has to sleep with doors set ajar, blue national Argus watching, his eye fixed on the Queen's curtains. Nay, on one occasion, as the Queen cannot sleep, he offers to sit by her pillow and converse a little.
End of Book 4, Chapter 8